Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church. I hope you're ready to receive from the Word of God today. I know the Spirit of God wants to speak to you this morning. I want to welcome you, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. Welcome to the Grace Place NYC Online Church. So glad that you joined us, and I truly believe that God is going to speak to you this morning in a powerful, powerful, meaningful way. One of the most beautiful things about New York City is its sheer diversity. 38% of the city's population is foreign-born. The city is home to the largest Jewish population in the world outside of Israel. It has the largest African-American community in America. It boasts six Chinatowns in the city proper. Not only are there a lot of foreign-born people that reside here in New York City, but there's a lot of transplants from other parts of the country that move here as well. My family is an example. We moved here five years ago from Texas. When people come from other countries or other parts of the country to live here, they naturally bring their own cultures, their own values, and their own upbringing with them to live in the city here. It's not like once they leave LaGuardia Airport or JFK, their culture and their upbringing and all of those things, it's not like they automatically just strip off of them and they become New Yorkers. No, everybody that comes to the city to live, they bring in their own culture, values, systems, all of worldviews, all of those things. And one of the beautiful characteristics of our city is how we learn to live in community with one another as we bring our unique histories and cultures with us. Many people can say that they live in New York City, but they had their upbringing in another country or another part of this country. And in some ways, as we're going to look at today, this is how Christians are to be in this world. And I want to explain why I said that as well as we go through the message. So our text for today is found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and uh, verses 11 and 12. And so let's read together. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I really like how the message paraphrase puts it as well. It goes like this. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Now, why would Peter address his friends here as foreigners and exiles? Why would he tell them that this world that you're living in, this world that you're residing in right now, it's not your home. Well, let me give you a little background. Let me give you a little backstory to this letter. The Apostle Peter is writing to Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. In AD 64, a fire devastated Rome. 
and Emperor Nero was suspected of starting the fire in order to rebuild Rome in his liking and in his desire the way he wanted it and to advance his political agenda. So he was suspected of starting this fire in Rome. And so as he was coming under fire, no pun intended, he needed to find a scapegoat and the Christians were an easy target for many reasons. You might not know this, but Romans viewed Christians as atheists because they didn't view Caesar as Lord and they didn't believe in the Roman God. So they viewed them as atheistic. They believed the Jews and the Christians believed in an invisible God. In addition to this, they were viewed as cannibals for claiming to eat of Jesus' body and drink of his blood. And if this wasn't bad enough, they were viewed by the Romans as incestuous because they used statements like, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister. So as the Roman people were devastated because their homes and businesses and religious temples and their way of life were burned to the ground, Nero started blaming Christians for the fire, falsely blaming them. The result was a major persecution of Christians that started in Rome but spread to other regions as well, including Asia Minor, to the people Peter was writing to here. This is what one Bible commentary says about the persecution of Christians in Rome. According to the early 2nd century historian Tacitus, who disliked Christians himself, Nero burned Christians alive as torches to light his gardens at night. The an evil, evil man. He killed other Christians in equally severe ways. For example, he fed them to wild animals for public entertainment. Just a very evil and sadistic man here we're talking about. This is why Peter used the term as foreigners and exiles to describe the folks he was writing to. They were facing extreme hostility in their own cities, towns, and neighborhoods. They felt like outsiders. They were being falsely accused and misunderstood and even tortured because of false accusations. Although we're facing nothing, and I mean nothing, compared to these believers in Asia Minor and Rome in the early church, there are a lot of Christians right now who feel picked on. They feel like outsiders. They feel like exiles in their own country. As I mentioned in my message last week, if you were able to listen to it, uh, many Christians here in America feel like the visiting team right now. Uh, according to the New Testament, okay, this is actually God's will for us to feel this way because this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven, okay? So this feeling of being an outsider, this feeling of being an exile is actually the will of God. I also talked about this last week, but I felt like I needed to reiterate some of this again this week because I didn't get to share my message live at the park fully because I was afraid that the parks department was going to shut me down any moment. So I kind of quickly went through my message and didn't get to really share everything I wanted to share. So I, I felt as I was preparing this week that I really needed to reiterate some of these things this week. But Peter, in the text we read earlier, uses a very interesting Greek word for exiles. He uses the word parapitomai, which translated means resident aliens. Resident aliens, and that's the title of my message today. Parapitomai were citizens of one country, yet full-time residents of another country. 
They were currently living in one place, but they were citizens of another place. They had, they got their culture and they were shaped and formed from a place where they weren't currently residing. That didn't mean they didn't care about the place they resided in. They really deeply cared about the place they resided in, but they weren't formed and shaped and getting their worldview from that current place they were living in. Parapitomi are a people who are not shaped by what the world is shaped by. They are not formed by what the world is formed by. They are a people whose true home is in heaven, but they find themselves here on earth for a time. Listen to Stephen, the first martyr in the early church, speaking to the high priest about Abraham in Acts chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. God spoke to him, talking about Abraham, in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Did you notice that God said he would be the one that punished the people who were enslaving his people? That's not our job. That God, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And just as the Israelites lived as exiles and slaves in Egypt for 400 years before the exodus to their promised land, Christians are in this world as peripitomi, resident aliens, until Christ returns and establishes a new heaven and a new earth until justice is done in Christ once and for all. We live here on this earth as peripitomi. In this time of turmoil, division, and an election, God has really burdened me. He's really put it on my heart to help believers see themselves as peripitomi, resident aliens. My desire okay, right now, is to disciple you through my messages and how you should think about yourself as a Christian presence in a hostile environment, okay? As peripitomi, our way of life originates from another world, okay? It doesn't originate in this world. They come from the God of the universe, our values, standards, and the way of life. It comes from the God of the universe through the Holy Scriptures. Most believers would nod their head in agreement that we are citizens of heaven, that we are from another world, that we get our values, that we get our standards, that we get our way of life from the scripture. They would nod their head and say, of course, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's all about Jesus. I get my values and my worldview and my systems and of how I think about life through the word of God. That's where it originates from. But I would argue that everyone that nods their head in agreement actually believes this. And I see it playing out a lot right now. If our values truly originated from a heavenly place, like we say they do, then why is it difficult for some of us to like people from the other political party? Think about it, friends. Jesus clearly tells us to love our enemies and bless them and pray for them. But a lot of Christians hate people. They despise people with opposing political views and want nothing to do with them. Why? Because America has become their God. Uh, their political party has become their God. Their president or their leader of their party has become their discipler, in essence. And so they've lost sight 
of what it means to be parapitomai. They've lost sight of what it really means to be citizens of heaven. Liberals don't like when, what conservatives are doing, and conservatives don't like what liberals are doing, and, and there's this fight back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If Christians actually believed this, that we are not from this world, and what Jesus said is true, to love your enemies, right, and to pray for them and bless them, if they really believe this, then why do so many believers defend political parties as if they were defending the faith? Can you answer me that? Many Christians I know would have a hard time sharing the gospel, but they know their political platform's ideas like the back of their hand, and they'll fight to the death for those ideas. Yet if you ask them to share the gospel, they're afraid, or they're like, I don't know enough, or I haven't studied enough, or whatever. Jesus' call is to follow him, not a political party. We are called to be disciples of Christ, not disciples of conservatism, liberalism, or any other ism you want to put in there. You know, um, <laughs> I think the presidential debate on Tuesday night is a great, accurate picture of where our country is right now. People talking over each other and refusing to listen refusing to have a real dialogue, refusing to have a cordial conversation where we share ideas, even if they are opposed to one another, where there's just people hurling insults at each other, where there's just division and ugliness and hatred being spewed left and right. I think that, that what happened on Tuesday night is an accurate and perfect picture of where this country is. And unfortunately, Christians are even contributing to this. So why should we not engage in the culture wars going on in our nation right now? And I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying we shouldn't speak to issues from a Christ-centered perspective. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we shouldn't attack people and disrespect people from the other side. The reason for this is found in who we are and whose we are. Okay, Peter tells us this in the preceding verses in 1 Peter 2 Verses 9 and 10, he says this, But you, believers, you Christians in Asia Minor, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You Christians who are being persecuted for being falsely accused right now, you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter, in these verses, uses Old Testament concepts to explain New Testament privileges of believers. He's telling us that the hope of the world is no longer the nation of Israel because they rejected the Messiah, but now the holy nation is the global, universal church of Jesus Christ made up of people that by faith have called upon the name of Jesus Christ and are following him. And this is the nation that God is going to work through to accomplish His will on this earth. We are a chosen people, chosen by God through Jesus to be in relationship with Him. We are a royal priesthood, meaning all believers are called to minister in their sphere of influence. We no longer have to go to God through a priest, through a man or woman of God. We can now go directly to God and minister as his representatives on his behalf. We are called 
to declare the praises of our Messiah who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So practically speaking, how are the parapitomai, resident aliens, to live in this world? Well, we are to abstain, we are to behave, and we are to do good. Number one, we are to abstain. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The NIV translates what we are to abstain from as sinful desires. The ESV translates it as passions of the flesh. And then the NKJV and the NASB translates it as fleshly lusts. Jesus called this abstaining self-denial when he said this in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus says this in context to when Peter rebuked him for when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to have to go to the cross and suffer many things. And Peter rebukes him and says, may it never be. And then Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter, the very man who wrote these words to abstain, right, rebuked Jesus because he wanted Jesus to exert his power over the Romans to bring independence to Israel. He wanted a Messiah that rescued Israel by power and force and through uh, the political arena. But that was not the plan of God. Right now, in our current moment, our flesh wants to attack people and fight back. But we must abstain. We must abstain from those fleshly desires to want to do that. Our flesh wants to make people feel stupid. Our flesh wants to look down on others for what they believe if it's different from us. Our flesh wants to gain power through force the way Peter wanted Jesus to do. But Peter tells us here to abstain from these desires and Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and die to our flesh. Number two, we are to behave. Wait, are you turning into my mom and dad and telling me to behave? Well, maybe. Just kidding. No, listen to what Peter says in the first part of verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives among the pagans. The New King James Version says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the non-Christians, the unbelievers. The message says, live an exemplary life among the natives. This includes our conversations with people. This includes how we speak to people. This includes the dialogues we have with people. Honorable conduct includes how we speak to people who don't see the world the way we see the world. How we speak to people whose citizenship is not in heaven. It includes how to speak to people behind a screen on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on whatever else social media platform you're on. Our conduct includes how we act on social media. Are your words ugly to people? Do you speak down to people? Are you sarcastic and mean to people? Believers are to err on the side of honoring all people. Did you hear that, church? Some of you need to really hear this. This is a word of the Lord for you. Believers are to err on the side of honor towards all people. 
First Peter 2, uh, if we move on, verse 13 through 17, and the message paraphrase says this, Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. I mean, that's pretty blunt and honest and straightforward for us right then and there. What Peter doesn't say here is that by fighting back or by insulting or by rioting and looting, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who are falsely accusing you of starting the fires in Rome and being menaces to society. He doesn't say to do that. And by that, you will convince them that you are not the people they think you are. He actually says that it is God's will that by doing good, you would change their hearts and minds. That's tough stuff right there, but it's Bible. I heard so many Christians defend President Trump's behavior in the debate by saying, well, he's fed up with the fake news and people from the left always badgering him and and falsely accusing him of things, and so that's why he's acting that way. Here's what I'll say to that. If you're a Christian, if you're a citizen from heaven, we do not combat false accusations and persecution with disrespect and fighting back with hostility. That's not how we function. That's not what we condone, okay? God's will is for us to combat these things by doing good. And we take this posture because we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light by sheer grace. It's only because of his grace that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous, wonderful, glorious light. It's because we have received mercy from God. It's because we are a chosen people and a royal priesthood. The gospel keeps us from being too proud and arrogant to honor all people. Okay? Because our Lord and Savior and King died a criminal's death, even though he was innocent. We are called to honor everyone and treat everyone with dignity, regardless of who they are. Rich, poor, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, independent, black, white, yellow, educated, uneducated, regardless of who they are regardless of what their social status is, we are called to honor people. And it was modeled to us by our Savior. Jesus led the way. He's not just telling us to do this. He led the way. Listen, as we move on in 1 Peter 2, 21-25, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed Think about this, church. Peter is telling these persecuted, mistreated, misunderstood, falsely accused believers to respond to their persecutors 
like Jesus. Don't retaliate, he says. Don't threaten, he says. Trust God to judge those who need to be judged. That's what he says. He says, don't take actions into your own hands like the world does. Don't retaliate. Don't threaten them. Trust God that he is going to defend you. Do we trust God or not, church? We take this posture so that when unbelievers see our humility, they will glorify God. It's about preaching the gospel with our lives. Preaching the gospel is not primarily about winning an argument. Preaching the gospel is not retaliating when we're insulted. It's not threatening people when we have the power to do so. It's taking the example of Christ and suffering the way he suffered so that others will glorify him. The gospel is good news, but it's not easy. That's why we need the Spirit of God inside of us, and we need to be obedient to the Spirit of God inside of us. And we need to allow the Scriptures to confront our, our prideful, arrogant, nationalistic hearts. That's what we need. American Christian, I'm speaking to you right now. Our goal is not to further our political party's agenda. That's not the goal of the Christian. Our goal is to live in such a way that unbelievers look at our lives and they think that we are so crazy. They think we are so countercultural. They think that we are so different that they choose to glorify God. That is the goal of every single believer. It's not to make sure the next president follows line of our values. It's to live in such a way so differently. It's to be resident aliens where we're, it's so clearly that we have our values from another place that people look at us and say, Christian, you are so different. When, when people insult you, you're not retaliating. When you have the, the power to do so, you don't threaten people, but you use your privilege and humility and you lay it down to serve other people. That, that they see that in our lives so strongly that they say, I want that Jesus inside of you, and they glorify God. That is the goal of how we should live, church, of how every Christian should live. And when we do that, God will take care of the other stuff. I promise you that. I promise you that. As our nation continues to be divided, as people continue to attack and yell at each other about their disagreements, as people continue to make country and politics an idol, our job as Christians is to live differently and counterculturally. That's the call for us. When others are punching, we are to love. When others are falsely accusing us of things, we are to love. When others are attacking us for our beliefs, we are to love. Love honors, respects, and treats others with dignity. Everyone with dignity. Everyone. All people. Especially the people we don't like. Especially the people we don't agree with. Especially the people 
who are our enemies. That's our stance, church. There's no way, there's just no way around it. And I think in this moment that we find ourselves in, this is such an important word. We are parapitomai. We are resident aliens. And we need to clearly show that right now. It's important, church. We have a great opportunity to reach the lost, to impact the lost right now. But we got to do it the biblical way. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.